Dear Father, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, Lord, you said that your word is living and it is active. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would breathe new life into us, refresh our souls this morning. And Lord, I pray as, as well as refreshing our souls, Lord, you also said that the word is like a mirror to our souls. So, Lord, reveal to us who we truly are, not who we fake ourselves to be, who not the the people that we puff ourselves up to be, but truly who we are. Lord, may, us, may we see the depth of our sin in order for us to see the depth of your grace this morning. Oh God, we thank you so much for this time. And Lord, we pray that we would have fertile hearts, Lord, that are, is ready to receive the seeds of your gospel. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um... I have been a pastor since 2003. Uh, that was my very first um, ministry position. And um, I know I look a little younger than I am. It's just my Asian genes. I'm a lot older than you think. <laughs> um, back in 2003, my very first position was a youth group pastor. And I remember, um, like any young pastor, I was full of energy full of ideas. I was just so excited to be in the role that I was. And I remember after uh, being the youth group pastor for about two years or so, um, one student approached me and she said that she wanted to be baptized. And I was over the moon because not only does she want to get baptized, but this was the one girl that scared me when I was a youth group pastor. (laughs) That parents came up to me and they say, we don't know what to do with our girl. She's so rebellious. She's crazy. She's out of control. We have no idea. Please change her, right? I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? What do you expect me to do if you can't do anything, right? But through the through Lord's grace and uh, over time, uh, she really came to understand the gospel. And she said she wanted to become baptized. And I remember leading up. At our church back in Los Angeles, my home church, what we would do is we would have the student come up, they would give their testimony, and then they would be baptized. And so I remember leading up to that day, I was just so excited, so thankful. I was, I I just could not wait for her baptism to come. And finally, the day arrived. She was in front of the whole congregation. And she was giving her testimony, and she was saying, you know, I realize the depth of my sin, that I realize I can't save myself until I met Jesus. And I realized he was the Savior that I've always longed for and wanted. And I remember she kind of ended with that. And, you know, everyone was applauding, everyone was excited and and grateful. But for me, there was like a, a hint of dissatisfaction (laughs) now what was going on here I was what I was thinking about was all of those conversations I've had with her sat down with her counseled her walked her through the difficult trials that she went through and she didn't even mention me once in her testimony (laughs) I don't know why that bothered me right now I remember as I was driving home and I was getting more and more upset. How dare she not mention me? I did so much for her. I was so instrumental in her coming to faith. How could she not even give me one shout out, right? And, you know, and then I, the Holy Spirit just rebuked me right then and there. And he said, he made me realize I am trying to take his glory away. 
I was trying to take credit for what he did in her heart. And, you know, in reality, what was happening was I was boasting in my heart. And I was hoping that she would boast on behalf of me to others that led to her baptism. And that was what was bothering me. Yes, in my heart, I knew it was mostly God intellectually. But in my heart, I felt like I deserved some credit. You know, Paul, this is at the very end of the Galatians. And he, it's a very passionate letter if you have ever read through Galatians. And it was these Galatian, new Galatian Christians that were being influenced by these Judaizers or Jewish Christians. And, and he was so upset with what was going on because he saw that these Judaizers were reaching out and telling these Gentile Christians that they needed to be circumcised. And in doing so, these Judaizers, these Jewish Christians would seek credit for how many people that they would lead to getting circumcised. Very much like my heart, right? And so today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about something that we all do, though we may not want to admit it, and that is the topic of boasting. Um, what do we boast about? Why do we boast about those things? And and what does boasting produce? And I'm going to talk about all those things. And, and so, you know, like a very good... Presbyterian minister, I'm going to break it down in three points. <laughs> um, number one, I'm going to talk about what worldly boasting is. Number two, what gospel boasting is. And finally, how do we boast effectively? Um, so first of all, what is worldly boasting? You know, in our passage for today, Paul, he, he writes at the very end of his letter to the Galatians that he is writing in large letters to them by his own hand. In other words, pay attention. <laughs> pay attention to what I'm going to say to you. This is very, very important. What's so important here? What is he trying to emphasize? He was warning that the Galatians were being influenced, like I said earlier, about these Jewish Christians were claiming to them that not only do they have to believe in Jesus but they also have to be circumcised in order for them to be truly saved. In other words, having faith in Jesus was not enough. They had to do something additional, in, plus having faith in Jesus, in order for you to be truly saved. And Paul, he was calling them out. And he was saying, the reason why these Judaizers are telling you these things is, number one, it'll make them look good among their peers. And, and number two, it'll help them avoid being persecuted by, for the cross of Christ. Or another way to put it is, he, Paul was pointing out, the reason why these Jews are telling you these lies is because they are more concerned with their outward appearances. And they had this distinct fear of what others will think about them based on what they do. And so Paul, he was trying to show these Galatians um, the fallacy in these arguments that these Judaizers were making. Now, likewise, if you think about the things that we all boast about, really, usually it is focused on one of two things. The outward, exterior, or our accomplishments, right? We boast about the outward the exterior, because we want people to view us in a certain way. 
It's all about getting people to believe in the image we want to portray. Um, isn't that why a majority of people, uh, what they do on social media, right? On Instagram, on, on Facebook, right? We may say that we just want to share our lives with our friends, but there is still a part of us, if you're being really honest, that we want others to realize how cute our kids are, right? <laughs> we want them to see what a great parent we are by taking our kid to this park, right? We want people to see how insightful we are based on the articles that we like or how cultured we are based on where we visit or how exciting we are based on the places that, and the things that we experience or even some of the, how, what a great sense of humor we have based on the memes that we like, right? Based on the likes, the mentions, the retweets, especially for us younger generation, we feel validated, or crushed. Now, why is that? Because this is the way that the world works, right? It focuses on the outside. It focuses on appearances. It focuses on what it can see. And therefore, we do what we need to do to conceal our worst selves and show others our best selves. Secondly, our boasting also focuses on our accomplishments, right? The things that we do, uh, our talents and our strengths. And our worth is tied to what we have done. And we have to prove that we matter based on what we do, what we have accomplished. I remember uh, when we had our first child, and Randa, I know where you are. Um, you know, when we had our first child, I remember as first-time parents, we were both very tired, right? Very exhausted. And I remember I would come home from work, and we, my wife and I, we'd almost play this little game every day. And you know what this game is? Who's more tired, right? <laughs> we share about our day, and we would try to top the other on who had a more tiring day. Now, I would usually lose <laughs> when we had this contest. But why would we do this? It was almost to prove to the other that based on um, how tired we were, we deserved a break, or at least recognition for how hard we worked all day. You know, we're boasting about our tiredness to say that our work matters. We did many things, important things, and therefore we are important. We are worthy, right? Our boasting was constantly fishing for compliments, and we do this all the time, don't we? Validation, credit, recognition. We may not verbalize our boasts, but in our hearts, we may do something and, and serve someone, and we may be waiting for some sort of praise. Or we may be boasting internally. No one saw that, but I saw that. I did a good job, right? We let our actions do our talking sometimes, and we hope, hopefully someone notices and gives us our due. And just as these Judaizers, they were looking for approval and praise when they forced Gentile Christians to be circumcised, we too also hunger and crave for that kind of praise and validation. And that's why we boast. That is what we boast about. Now, exactly why? What is the root? Why? What is the main driving force of our boasting? Well... We need to boast about things because we are insecure about who we are. And that's just a fact. We fear that what we have done 
And who we built ourselves up to be is not enough. And so our boasting, in in, in part, is, is to hide our insecurities by puffing up the things that we feel secure in, right? Instead of boasting about that, about our difficult marriage or family life, we boast about how we're killing it at work, right? And uh, to make us feel like we are not a failure. And so we boast to hide our shame, our inadequacies, our failures, and our disappointments. And John Stott, he was a, uh, a British theologian, he once said this, all of our boasting is a result of us trying to save ourselves. What we boast about actually reveals our true religion because they are the very things we attach our security and satisfaction to. Again, all of our boasting is a result of us trying to save ourselves. What we boast about actually reveals our true religion because they are the very things we attach our security and satisfaction to. We boast because we're insecure about who we are. And when we do this, what does worldly boasting produce? Well, number one, it makes us more anxious people. You know, if you think about it, if we're boasting because we're insecure, we're trying to cover up something that we don't want other people to notice. Our insecurities cause us to be anxious and worried because we're so focused on whether we did enough if we are maintaining appearances enough, if we are controlling how they view us enough, if our identity is determined by what we do, we know that there can always be more that we can do that can be done. We can never rest because there always has to be this process of us continuously keeping up appearances, which then leads us to a second, um, second thing that gets produced is we begin to then live double lives. The life that we portray to others through our boasting, that's one life. And then there's our true self. Keeping up appearances and trying to maintain this fake identity over time, it becomes exhausting. It makes us feel lonely and hollow and fake. After a while, no one you begin to realize that no one truly knows you. They just know who you want them to know, which is not your true self. That's why they say social media is increasing our loneliness and our isolation, according to scientific studies. And it makes sense because there is the online version of ourselves and there's the true self. There's the Instagram-worthy snapshots of our lives, and then there's the mundane, everyday, normal, ordinary life that we live. We are living a double life, and we know it, and it is gnawing at us. You know, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, says that when this happens, it will leave us with this distorted self-image because we are in denial of our flaws, and we exaggerate our strengths. Pretty soon, what happens is who you think that you are is not reality. It has become fantasy, and you begin to believe in your own distortion. This is what happens when we continue to boast according to the world. And finally, not only does, are we more anxious people, not only does it lead to a double life, but it leads also to a very judgmental spirit. 
If our worth is determined by outward appearances or our works, then we're always competing with the person next to us on who matters more. And if we're not boasting and elevating ourselves, we, be, we judge others and we cut them down, put them down. Or else we'll feel like we don't matter as much. We're not as important. We make snap judgments based on what we see rather than what we know. And we're quick to demonize the other if we even get a whiff that they don't agree with our position. How true is this in our country today? And so if that is worldly boasting, then what is gospel boasting? What is gospel boasting? And this is what Paul really gets into in verse 14. If you look with me, it says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, as opposed to the Judaizers' false teaching here of what the world approves, Paul, he was saying that he has been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to him. What does this mean? You know, unlike the world, which ascribes value and worth based on the exterior, on the outer, on our works, Paul is saying that his worth and value as a person is rooted in something completely different. In fact, it is something based on something outside of this world. He says that he is a new creation. He is something the world has never seen before. The old worldly standards that he judged his self-worth on or boasted in, they were gone. And the new, the new has come. And therefore the world is dead to him and it no longer tells him who he is or who he isn't. Those days are over. You know, when Jesus, he came to earth, he completely flipped the notion of what it means to be significant and worthy. You know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they, they, they based their whole lives and worth based on morality, on, on, on law, on keeping the law. And Jesus then comes and says to these Pharisees, that is not enough just to do good things on the outside. He said that the inside, the motives, the desires matter just as much. And so uh, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, he, he says it's not simply good enough not to physically murder someone when you have murdered someone in your heart with hate. Or it's not good enough to commit adultery, uh, not commit adultery on the outside when you have lusted after your neighbor's wife. Which is why Jesus, he, he rebuked the Pharisees in, in Matthew 23, 26. He calls them, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may be clean. And so if the inside matters just as much as the outside, the question is this, what hope do we have? Who can stand before God and be blameless, right? It's hard enough to do in doing the right thing, but doing the right thing all the time with the right motives, that's almost impossible. You know, Jesus, he came and he, totally redefined what sin truly is, and in doing so, disqualified everyone's capability to save themselves. And, there's a reason, and there is a reason why he did this. He did this because he, he was showing the world that he didn't come to the world just to show how deep their sin is and condemn them. Nor did he come just to be a good example so that people can emulate him. 
Jesus redefined sin in order to teach the world. He came here to save us. That is why he came. He came to give us new life. He came to rescue us from this sin and this death that is constantly haunting us. And he did this by dying the death that we deserve in exchange for giving us the life that Christ deserved. If there was anyone that deserved to boast about who they were and their accomplishments, it had to have been Jesus, right? He was the one perfect man this world has ever seen. He deserved all the glory. He deserved the praise, the credit, the validation. He deserved to be exalted. And yet, Jesus, he did not boast. He humbled himself and became the object of scorn and wrath and ridicule. Insults were hurled at him. Lashes were inflicted on his back. The disciples that he lived and, 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 and dined with, performed miracles in front of, and most importantly loved, denied and deserted him. Yes, he did. If there was a time that Jesus could have boasted and, and, and rebuked everyone was when he was hanging on the cross as he was in the most, suffering the most pain that he had ever experienced as he was being hung on that cross of shame. That was the one place he could have put everyone in their place, right? He could have silenced the mockers. He could have, he could have proven his false accusers wrong. He could have shown everyone their sin and revealed his glory. That was the time to do it. And yet, through it all, he endured it silently. As it says in Isaiah 53, like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. Our Savior, he did not boast about his glory, nor about his sufferings. He did not open his mouth. He did not do this because he knew that this had to be done in order for us to be rescued from our sin. He kept silent because he loved us. You were more important to him than his own dignity, than him getting his credit, than his own glory. You were that loved. The cross, it was a symbol of shame and guilt. And only the most infamous and heinous criminals were sentenced to be crucified on the cross. And yet we can boast about the cross today because Christ's sacrifice transformed the cross from a symbol of shame and death into a symbol of freedom and life. From guilt into grace. From defeat into victory. From punishment into grace. This is what we boast about, what Christ has done for us. Now, if this is the case, then how can we boast about the cross effectively? And Paul, he lays it out for us. Number one, we need to continuously remind ourselves that we are crucified to the world. Paul says we have to be crucified to the world, and the world needs to be crucified to us, meaning... We have to choose continuously what life, which life we're going to boast about. 
the new life in Christ or the life we have in this world. It can't be both. It has to be either or. Why do we have to be crucified to the world in order for us to boast in Christ? Because if we were to even have this little bit, if we had just a little bit to do with this new life that we have in Christ, guess what we're always going to be tempted to do? Focus on that little bit that we had in contributing to this new life we have in Christ, right? We will glory in that little piece. We will compare that little piece with other people's little pieces and see which piece was better. That is the sinful heart. Christ is saying, in order for us to boast in Christ, in, uh, according to the gospel, we need to completely die, completely be crucified to this world. Now, why is this so hard? Why, as a Christian, even though we know what Christ has done for us, why is it so hard to just boast in the cross of Christ? If we're honest with ourselves, it's because we still feel insecure that his death and resurrection is enough for us. The world, it keeps telling us that we are still lacking something or many things. We're still not pretty enough. We're not smart enough. We're not competent enough, not successful enough. And these accusations continuously ring throughout our minds wherever we go. But here, Paul is saying, those accusations are irrelevant now. By us boasting in the cross of Christ, we're declaring to the world that there is nothing to do with us gaining this new amazing life, but it had everything to do with what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so how do, how do we effectively boast in the cross of Christ? Number one, constantly remind ourselves that we are crucified to this world. And secondly, we are constantly called to be transparent and open about who we are. You know, Paul, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that he will boast all the more gladly of his awesomeness. No. He will boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, the world, it tells us that we need to hide our weaknesses, hide our shame, and display our strengths. But our new life in Christ is saying that we can be open about our weaknesses, open and confess our sins to one another. Because the more that we repent and boast about our weaknesses, the more we realize how sweet the gospel truly is to us. We realize how amazing his salvation is. The more we recognize our sinfulness, the more we realize how much God has forgiven us. And the more we realize how much he forgave us, the more our love grows for him. And therefore, the more we boast about the cross of Christ. You know, the more we boast about our weaknesses and how utterly dependent we are on the cross, the more we can face difficulties and calamities with courage and grace. Because we know that what we do doesn't define who we are, but what Christ has done for us. There is strength. And freedom in that, a strength and a freedom that this world can never understand. And finally, this is what I have to do every morning. Ask yourself this question. How big and sweet is this good news for you? How big and sweet is this good news to you? Because the bigger the news is, 
the harder it is to contain. Isn't that right? Isn't that why we have Yelp, right? Isn't that why we take a picture of our, uh, of our food and post it on Instagram, right? We can't help but share. The sweeter and the more juicier the news is, the harder it is not to share with others, right? I'm not sure if I've shared this story before, but, uh, you know, every time I think about this concept, I think about when I proposed to my wife, Eunice, and, um, you know, uh, we, we've been married like 10 plus years, but I remember the day that I was going to propose to her, I wanted to make it perfect. And so we lived in Los Angeles at the time. I called this nice Italian restaurant, told her, can you please give us the best seat in the house? They said, no problem. We'll put it under the gazebo, under the stars. It'll be perfect. I said, yes. And so I remember we went to the restaurant. The hostess seated us and the server came to our table and, and she was given to it. But you know what? You know, she, she kind of had that gleam in her eye, like she knew what was going on, right? And um, I was just like thinking, just don't blow it for me, right? <laughs> and uh, I remember as we kept eating throughout the meal, Eunice, my wife, my then girlfriend, she was saying she was getting more and more upset. And I could tell she was getting agitated. And I was like, at the end, I was like, what is wrong? What's going on here? And she's like, I can't stand this anymore. I was like, oh, no, this is the day that I'm going to propose to her. What's going on here, right? And she said, you know our waitress? I was like, yeah. She keeps winking at you every single time she comes by our table. I was hoping she didn't notice that, but what was going on there? The waitress was so excited of what I was going to do, she just couldn't contain herself. That Every time she came by, she would give me this obvious wink. You know, and as if, yeah, we know, I know what's going on here, right? Like, she wants to share in this event, right? And, and anyways, I couldn't, I couldn't propose to her at the restaurant because my <laughs> wife was so upset, so I, I had to push it off to another day, you know? But, you know, I could relate. I understand. She was privy to this juicy piece of information. She was so excited for me, she couldn't contain herself, <laughs> You know, this is what happens when we have uh, news that is so amazing, so sweet, so juicy, so important, so amazing. We cannot help but want to boast about it to anyone that would listen to us. Very much like the grandparent that shows the kids, his grandkids in his phone now, I guess. We, too, when we ask ourselves how good and how sweet is this good news to us, that should compel us to want to boast all the more. And so today, I want to say we all boast about something. We do. Even if you may not admit it, we do. Jesus, he gave us something to boast about that doesn't leave us anxious, force us to live a double life or with a judgmental spirit. But rather, he fills us with peace, hope, security, and grace. Let us give up trying to boast about ourselves and never leave that always leaves us insecure and unsatisfied. But instead, let us boast about this new life that we have, that we have received in the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope and I pray that this good news will be so big and so sweet that you can't help but boast about it everywhere you go. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for reminding us that what you have done for us on the cross, it is newsworthy. It is so newsworthy. It is so amazing, Lord, that it should compel us to want to boast all the more about what you have done for us. Lord, I pray as we saw, Lord, how boasting about the things that the world wants us to boast about leaves us empty, disillusioned, living a double life, anxious and worrisome. Lord, I I pray that we would see that this new life that you have created for us, this is something worthy to be boasted about, to be exalted, to give glory. Lord, I pray that we would once again be reminded that you are everything that we need, oh Lord. And I pray that in turn, we would be able to boast about what you have done for us. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work on our hearts as we meditate on your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.